0: The Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, November 2nd. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, our focus is the American presidential election. Which would be better for Ireland, President Trump or President Clinton? To help me tease out this issue, I'm joined in studio by former Taoiseach and former EU ambassador to the US, John Bruton. And by phone by Megan Green, who is chief economist at Manulife Asset Management in Boston and also a columnist with the Sunday Business Post newspaper. And by Larry Donnelly, a lecturer-in-law in in, in NUIG Galway. Larry is also uh, a native of Boston. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, while it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com podcasts. Uh, Before we get into the meat and drink of whether Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton might be a better friend to Ireland over the next uh, four years, I thought it might be worth just uh, getting the thoughts of our panel on Barack Obama's uh, time in the White House. Uh, uh, Megan Green maybe start with you Um, just in terms of his attitude towards Ireland uh, do you think he was you know how would you you rate his performance over the past uh, eight years has he been a good friend of Ireland or has Ireland featured uh, to any great degree in his presidency
2: Well, I think Obama has been a good friend to Ireland. Obama is far more popular um, everywhere outside of the U.S. than he is uh, in the U.S., but particularly in Europe. And I was in Dublin when he came to Dublin and, you know, gave his speech shouting to the absolute back of the crowd. Um, But I think he's been really friendly towards Ireland, particularly in terms of trade. And I think that's something that we'll miss no matter who wins the next election.
0: Okay, Larry Donnelly, same question for you.
1: Yeah, I, I think I largely agree with the, p- the points that that Megan made. Uh, you know, he, he certainly got a rapturous recep- reception when he was here uh, in Ireland, and you know, certainly the, he's well regarded. And and on the, in terms of the flow of investment, the flow of foreign direct investment, I mean, there's been a lot going on under his watch, which I think is all very good. Um, I think some of us, I, I suppose, were a little bit disappointed that. Uh, for a long time, there was no United States ambassador to Ireland. There was a, a good gap there between uh, Dan Rooney and now Ambassador Kevin O'Malley. Uh, I'm not sure that's indicative of any absolute view b- on behalf of the Obama administration. That was perhaps one letdown over the last eight years, though.
0: Yeah, okay. John Bruton, you were EU ambassador to the United States from 2004 to 2009, and I think that coincided for a year or so with uh, Barack Obama's administration. How did you find him? Was there an open door there for Ireland and for the EU, indeed? Well,
3: uh, well, actually, when I was in Washington, there was a wider open door in the Bush administration because it was towards the end of its term and they'd some to, so to speak, come to terms with Europe, whereas a new Obama administration mm. for its first year was probably finding its way yeah. and didn't quite see the relevance of yeah. the European Union. But I've no doubt that by now uh, there's great access uh, to, to the Obama administration. I think President Obama... He has kept peace in the world. He has not run an, an, a militarily adventurist administration. And I think that's very important. Uh, mistakes were made by his predecessors in that regard. And uh, we all are still paying the price for those. The refugee flow into Europe is indirectly the result of the invasion of Iraq and all the upset that that caused in neighbouring countries including Syria. So uh, I think President Obama has has been appropriately cautious and I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah okay well let's talk about the two uh, nominees who are standing for, for election it's going to be decided uh, effectively next week we'll know one way or other whether it's uh, Trump or Clinton. Um, When you were Taoiseach, I think your time as Taoiseach coincided with Bill Clinton's time in the White House. Um, Does that uh, sort of lean you more towards the Clinton side than Trump uh, in terms of the outcome?
3: Well, I think most people uh, are puzzled as to what sort of an administration Donald Trump would run. Um, He hasn't given very clear, consistent policy outlines other than things that... You know, involving a 35% tariff on Mexico, a 30, 45% tariff on China, a wall between the United States and Mexico, all sorts of things that would probably freeze international trade. He's against trade agreements. Mm. Now, he's for American exports, mm. but he's not for imports mm. from other so countries. how do you square that circle? You don't. Uh, I, I think there's a big inconsistency at the heart of his approach. Um Hillary Clinton would be more predictable, uh, I think. Uh, she will probably be you know, more, shall we say, under the influence of the U.S. trade union movement, which is anti-trade, uh, than perhaps President Obama was. He became quite in favour of trade in the latter years of his administration and had greater freedom, if you like. Um, the really interesting thing is to see as well what sort of uh, majority we're going to see in the House and in the Senate.
0: Yeah, sure. Megan Green, um, let's look at some of the economic aspects um, uh, to this, and particularly Donald Trump and his aversion to free trade agreements. I mean, he has uh, said that he's going to scrap NAFTA, for example, Um, and he also seems opposed to the TTIP uh, trade deal, which is... Uh, being negotiated between the US and and the EU. And of course, it must be said that that TTIP deal, you know, there are quite a few uh, painful negotiations going on around there. There, There's no guarantee um, that, you know, a deal will be agreed at the end, even if a president uh, was in favour of it.
2: Yeah, so there are very few areas over which the president actually has executive authorities. There there are a ton of checks and balances in the U.S. system, but trade is one of the areas over which the president can have executive authority on the basis of national security. And so um, Trump, if he were to win, would have a pretty free hand in terms of trade. And I think um, if we went ahead and took him at face value, which you have to be careful doing, but if, if he did actually implement all of the anti-trade protectionist policies that he seems to be suggesting during the campaign he would like to. Um, I think it would tip the U.S. right into recession. Um, and of course, the U.S.'s recovery has been pretty weak, but it's been stronger than most of the developed world. So the U.S. in recession um, would be a problem for Europe, but also for global growth. Um, so I, I do think that's a huge risk if Trump were to come into power. Of course, there's always a chance that he would back off a whole bunch of things that he's promised in the campaign is as, as most candidates worldwide um, for the head of, of state often do.
0: Yeah. Larry Donnelly, do you think uh, a President Trump would, would push through with scrapping NAFTA and would also you know, scrap negotiations on a TTIP agreement with the EU?
1: I'm, I'm not so sure whether he would go as far as some of his rhetoric suggests that he might. However, what I will say is this. There's no question in my mind that if Trump is president, he is going to push back and push back very hard uh, on the internationalist, uh, I suppose, open, open borders, free trade, international type of thinking that I think has prevailed uh, in both the Democratic and the Republican parties for some time now. And I say that because of politics. And the fact is, if Donald Trump were to be elected president, much of the reason why would be because of his naked appeals uh, to, people's into, to people in places like Ohio and Pennsylvania, for whom, unquestionably, uh, at least at one level, in terms of their employment, we can talk about the other benefits of free trade in terms of cheaper goods and services, etc. but in terms of the employment that they once had, free and agreements like NAFTA have not been good for them. And he has made a direct appeal on that. and in one sense, a lot of people say that Donald Trump, if the Republicans had chosen anyone else, uh, that they... That person would be flying high right now in the polls. I'm not so sure because not, no other Republican adopts the view that Trump has, whether he means it or not, on the issue of trade. And that is resonating very, very strongly in Pennsylvania and Ohio. And again, it becomes the question of uh, that unemployed steel worker who's sitting on his couch in Pennsylvania and hearing things from the leadership of both parties about an optimist, optimism and, and America being a global force, et cetera. That doesn't resonate with him, with him or her. It doesn't resonate with their experience. So because they, they would have been so central to a Trump victory if it does happen, he's going to have to react. and He's going to have to respond to that.
0: Okay, is it fair to say the Republicans in Congress will be pro-free trade, so they might not be willing to follow his line on that?
1: I, I, I think so, yeah. I mean, this this is where... If there is a Trump presidency, this is where things could get very complicated. Uh, the Republican Party is very much divided now. I mean, they're certainly at the establishment level, certainly most of the elected officials do embrace, uh, I suppose, free trade and globalism, speaking more broadly. However, they're very clearly disconnected from their grassroots. So, that Trump will, will obviously have serious opposition if he were to try to untangle any of the free, true, free, existing or planned free trade agreements. He would have a serious problem with the leadership. He might find a little bit different situation with rank-and-file Republicans, particularly in the House of Representatives. And also, here's the strange part, he might find common cause with some Democrats uh, who are generally opposed to free trade deals, largely because of the union movement.
0: Yeah okay, um, John Broodin, you were the Taoiseach, you did have access to the White House. Just maybe tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what kind of access does the Irish government have to the White House? Typically? I think
3: the Irish government has exceptionally good ex- access. The fact that uh, the Taoiseach of the day can meet the president every year. There's very few heads of governments that this can meet right the president of the state. United States, even of much bigger countries like Canada, who can meet the U.S. president as frequently as the Irish Taoiseach is able to do. Uh, I think that's very, very important. But I would like to return to a point that Megan made, which I think is very important. President Trump, if he becomes president, will have a lot of authority to act on trade independently of Congress. My understanding is that he could impose his 45% tariff on Chinese imports and 35% on on Mexican imports pretty well straight away. Now, renegotiating NAFTA would be a different thing. Mm. Uh, Renegotiating, you know, his stance on trade negotiations he may be able to hide behind Congress not to keep some of his promises. But some of the promises he's made, on the other hand, are ones he said he will implement the day he becomes president. And uh, he's going to find it very, very difficult not to keep uh, those promises if he doesn't want to be
0: and what about, destroyed politically. What about the TTIP negotiations with the EU? Because there's a lot of opposition in the EU to, to TTIP and that it's not very transparent and so forth.
3: Well, there's a lot of concern about these dispute settlement mechanisms. Now, we've been putting these on behalf of the European Union into our own agreements to protect European investments in other countries. And now when we find that perhaps America would like to include similar uh, clauses in agreements that they Mm. make with us, Mm. we suddenly find those not attractive. Uh, I think there is a room for improvement in the way in which such agreements work. But if you are to encourage investment by firms in another jurisdiction where they're solely subject to the courts of another jurisdiction with no appeal, then you probably won't get as much investment as you would if you provide some mechanism for reconciling uh, differences, which is what these things do.
0: Yeah. Uh, Megan Green, what's the view of corporate America towards uh, Trump or Clinton? Uh, Which way do you think they might be leaning?
2: So interestingly, um I think that has a lot to do with tax policy for each candidate. Um, and Hillary Clinton is planning on paying for a whole bunch of fiscal stimulus, including infrastructure spending, with tax reform, so um, increasing taxes. Um, and I think that companies actually are viewing that negatively um, in the short term. So if Clinton were to win the presidency, I think the markets would go down the next day. Um, but, of course, over the medium to long term, if, if there were actually a fiscal stimulus um, and a way to pay for it, Um, That would be good for growth. And so that would actually support corporate America. So it really depends to some degree on your time frame. Um, The view from corporate America is that, you know, Trump would be better because he doesn't plan on raising taxes. Um, He's hoping to pay for a whole bunch of fiscal stimulus with um, magic five to six percent growth. Um, I think we have potential growth of around one and a half percent in the U.S. And so um, that's it's incredibly unlikely that we'll get five to six percent growth. And therefore, there's no real way to pay for that kind of stimulus under a Trump presidency. So in the short term, corporate America would be happy about not not having higher taxes. But over the longer term, of course, um, I think a Trump presidency would be bad for growth and so would undermine corporate America.
0: Let's talk about the undocumented Irish. I think there's something like 50,000 in America, and this has been on the agenda for a few years now. Given Donald Trump's stance, he's a fairly hardline stance on immigration, it doesn't seem as if that issue uh, would be sorted out in favour of those undocumented Irish. But then again, the Obama presidency hasn't sorted it out for them either.
3: Yes, and indeed it's important to say that Important Republican figures like John McCain tried to sort out the situation of undocumented immigrants, of whom there are 11 million or mm. more living in the United States, living in a sort of twilight, uh, a sort of semi-slavery, really, mm. because they don't have any rights um, and they could be deported at any moment. Mm. Uh, there's no equality of citizenship. This is a very, very serious situation in terms of human rights. Uh, but I don't think either of them will be able to solve this. I don't think Hillary Clinton will seriously try. And I and I think, uh, on the other hand, Donald Trump has said he will deport uh, 2 million of the 11 million. Um, forcible deportation is, is something that really should make one shudder.
0: Yeah, sure. Larry Donnelly, any thoughts on uh, how Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton might deal with the undocumented Irish?
1: Yeah, I mean, I should say it's, it's an issue that's very near and dear to my own heart, given that my surname is is synonymous, I suppose, with the undocumented uh, Irish in the 1980s, my uncle is Brian Donnelly from the Donnelly visa program. Um, it, so it's an issue that's close to, to me, and what I've followed closely and, and talked to and worked with a lot of groups on the ground in Boston and elsewhere uh, who've been fighting the battle on this. I think it's important to say that, remember, President Obama signed an executive order, which would have uh, at least improved the situation of a lot. Of undocumented uh, Irish and others in the United States. That was how that's been held up and struck down in the courts. Um, Hillary Clinton has already signaled an intention uh, that she would try to try to reinvigorate and constitution-proof um, the issues around that executive order. So I think that's one concrete way uh, of which uh, it could work on. And she's also in, is signaled uh, a willingness that she's she's committed to immigration reform. Um, I think as the former tshirt has pointed out uh it is a very immigration is a vexed issue it's a very, very difficult one to make progress on, but when you compare uh, Hillary Clinton's sentiments, at least, on this issue, versus the rhetoric. And again, how much can Trump do of what he wants? He's not going to be able to deport a, million, a million, 11 million mm. people no matter what he wants to do. Um, when you look at the rhetoric of Hillary Clinton, it's unquestionable uh, that she would be better poised and better able to help uh, the undocumented Irish.
0: Yeah. Megan Green, presumably the American economy, or at least some parts of it, would, would collapse if uh, all of these undocumented were sent home.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So if we were to send home or, or deport all of these undocumented workers, um, it would be massively negative for the U.S. economy. Um, and I would also highlight there's this idea of Donald Trump um, building a wall. Um, in fact, there are more Mexicans who are going from the U.S. to Mexico than the other way around. So he would end up um, walling <laughs> undocumented workers in, which um, I guess could benefit the U.S. economically to some degree. Um But, you know, I think it's unlikely that we'll see that kind of policy come come into effect, even if Donald Trump were to win the presidency. Immigration like trade, though, is one of the areas over which um, checks and balances over the president are limited, um, again, in the name of national security. So um, I do think that either Clinton or Trump um, could wield a pretty heavy hand in terms of immigration reform, Um, though sometimes that does get caught up um, in this by this, you know, in the courts, by the Supreme Court, um, as we've seen with Obama.
0: Okay, we're going to take a short break now and return with more on this debate about whether President Trump or President Clinton would be better uh, for Ireland in the second half of the programme. We'll be looking at foreign direct investment and uh, possible implications for the peace process. Back in a few moments. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow, they don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704 1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish life. We are Irish life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. Okay, welcome back. Uh, I'm joined in studio by former Taoiseach John Bruton and by phone by Megan Green, who's Chief Economist of Manulife Asset Management and a columnist with the Sunday Business Post newspaper and by Larry Donnelly, a lecturer in law uh, from NUIG Galway. Uh, we're discussing the US presidential election and whether President Trump or President Clinton might be a better ally for Ireland over the next four years. Uh, John Bruton, you've worn a few different hats in your career, uh, both political and economic, if you like. You were uh, you, you were uh, an ambassador for the International Financial Services Uh, in Ireland for the private sector uh, for for a number of years where you were going around the world trying to promote Ireland as a location for foreign direct investment. And there's over 700 US companies uh, who have a regional headquarters of one type or another based in Ireland. Um, As you look out over the next four years, let's say, under President Trump or under President Clinton, do you think that might be eroded in any way or do you think we will continue to be able to build on it?
3: I I think the uh, investment that's already here is not in any risk. Uh, it's here because of the quality of the workforce, the fact that we're a member of the European Union and all of that. What could be affected in the medium term, however, is our corporate tax base. If the United States was to change their very artificial Uh, company tax system whereby they tax companies not uh, on profits where they make them, but if they're a US company on profits Mm. wherever they have been made and tax them when they take them home at 35%. If they were to change that and, for example, reduce the tax on repatriated profits to 20% or something like that, and a lot of the money went back to the United States, that could ultimately lead to, you know, less corporation tax being paid in Ireland, mm. uh, because money would be accounted for in the United States rather than accounted for in Ireland. But I think the impact is more likely to be on, on the Minister for Finance's accounts right. than on the um, number of people employed.
0: Yeah, Megan Green, the Apple uh, tax case involving uh, Europe, which. Uh, I suppose to set the Irish government in opposition to the European Commission. That's that's obviously gained a lot of headlines. In the what's the view in the US on, on that, uh, by the way? And you know what impact might that have on foreign direct investment into Ireland in the future?
2: So um, I think it's dangerous as a precedent for U.S. companies, um, and and so a lot will depend on exactly how that plays out in the courts um, in in Brussels. But um, I do think if this does mark the beginning of U.S. companies being called to actually pay what they're due, which is totally fair, um, I do think that other U.S. companies um, will – think again about um, using Ireland as their springboard for access to the greater EU markets. Um, I would also highlight that, you know, I think this isn't related to the US election so much as it is to Brexit, but um, Ireland's greatest partner in terms of free trade within Europe was the UK. So with the UK leaving the EU, I do think that Ireland will have a harder and harder time defending its corporate tax rate. Um, So that could also sort of blow the whistle on this um, growth model for Ireland. Uh, being a stepping stone for multinationals looking for access to the bigger European market. I I
3: don't agree with that at all. Uh, Ireland will be well able, thanks to the fact that we have a veto on tax policy to protect our 12.5% rate, and we will
0: do so. Okay. Um, corporate tax inversions, uh, corporate inversions have been uh, in the headlines over the past uh, few years and and Barack Obama's administration introduced uh, uh, new rules, new legislation to put a curb on it. But let's hear what uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have been saying on the stumps uh, about corporate inversions and in particular about Ireland's role in them.
1: You're going to lose hundreds of thousands of jobs to other countries because of corporate inversions. What you're going to do... Is you're going to lower the taxes, bring the money in, and they're going to use that money to build and do things in the United States. And So you're not criticizing Pfizer at all. No, you know, I really, or companies I'm not. like that. It's just no, about the no. wall. You got to look. In the old days, you'd leave New York and go down to Florida, right. or you'd leave New Jersey and go to Texas yep. to save taxes. Now, because of the way the world is so different, you leave the United States and you go to Ireland and you go to different places in Asia and you go to Europe. I mean, it's a different world, and we have to compete better.
2: We also have to fix the tax code,
1: which is riddled with exceptions and giveaways to corporations, to billionaires. And I have a long list of what we're gonna go after because I am sick and tired of what we have just seen with this giant pharmaceutical merger where these companies are leaving America to cut their taxes when they should be staying here and investing in the people and the opportunities that will build our economy.
0: Uh, John Bruton, both of them referenced the Pfizer deal there. What they're referring to was the planned $160 billion takeover of Dublin-based Allergan um, that would have led to the group's relocation to Ireland. Uh, But the US government cracked down on uh, these inversions. They changed the rules. And as a result, Pfizer called off that deal. This only arises because the US has this very unusual
3: tax system, as I said, where they try to tax worldwide income mm. rather than tax income where it is made. And uh, I, I think the United States is going to have to change that uh, system. Uh, I, I, I think that the, uh, the two candidates are complaining about the symptoms without dealing with the disease. Mm.
0: But it's not good for Ireland that we're, we keep getting caught up in the swell on, on such matters is?
3: Well, I don't know. I think we have to be grown up about these things. If the United States has a crazy tax system, uh, we can't complain if American companies and Americans decide that they don't want to comply. Uh, But as I say, the impact of any change here will be more and almost entirely, I think, on the revenue collected by the Minister for Finance than on the number of jobs here. Uh, so, obviously, the amount of corporate tax coming in could be reduced, but so we have to, in making our budgets going forward, you know, adjust our spending yeah. okay. to take
0: account of that. Uh, Megan Green uh, crazy US tax laws and I'm just wondering if corporate inversions is it an item that's still high up on the agenda because uh, Obama did change the rules um, and and effectively as I understand it these kind of deals that Pfizer was trying to pull off I mean effectively they're not uh, they're, they're not feasible anymore
2: yeah, that's right. Um, I, I don't think it does um, stand very high up on the agenda. To be honest, being based in the U.S. and consuming the U.S. news and even being in this space, um, you don't see a whole lot about this. So um, it's, it's not at the top of the agenda and, and certainly not shaping the outcome of this election.
0: OK, Larry Donnelly, um, Donald Trump or, or Hillary Clinton, which do you think would be more inclined towards uh, foreign direct investment in, into Ireland will be more supportive of that?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm not sure who would be most supportive. Of it. I suppose it would be Hillary Clinton, um, you because of, of her general, uh, I suppose, outward-facing, you know, perspective on the world. Whereas Trump has a very different perspective; and it's inward-facing. Uh, I think on this, on this, the issue of the U.S. tax code. This is a key point uh, because the fact is. Trump especially is looking to foreign bogeymen to blame this on, when in fact the blame lies squarely with the United States tax code. And alterations and amendments to the U.S. tax code have been held up for years because of very wealthy corporate interests and their lobbyists who prevented any action in Congress. Now, however, I think the climate has changed, and I think that the climate is such that action is coming on the tax code one way or the other. Um, but I think in terms of, uh, of Ireland and, you know, the, the, the future, um, it has to be said that Hillary, somebody with Hillary Clinton's overall vision in terms of the United States and its role in the world has to be better for this country than somebody like Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, Mind you, Donald Trump has invested himself in, in Ireland, hasn't he? I mean, taking over the, the golf resort in Doombag and investing <laughs> in it since then.
1: That, that's that's true, you know. And again, one of the things that one of the things, but but to juxtapose that is one of the things Trump has said on the campaign trail is he's a businessman. He does things to make money. He takes advantage where he can. He does make certain yeah. investments, etc. That he would conduct matters entirely differently if he was in charge.
0: Sure. Of, you know, Actually, the United States we first. have a clip of him. Uh, some remarks he's made on. Uh, have let's, Luton Luton let's have a listen. You know, in Ireland, and it's a sister
1: to Kiowa built by the same people, they did a beautiful, beautiful job, and uh, I bought it a number of years ago, and during the downturn in Ireland I made a good investment, and it's an incredible place. So so Doonbeg, do you know about Doonbeg? I guess most of you do, right? We spent a lot of money on making it just perfecto, and now it's doing great.
0: John, John Bruton, have you been to Dunbeg since
3: Donald Trump took it over? No, no, no. I was there before for the music, but I haven't been there since Donald. Right,
0: And he got quite a welcome, of course, uh, yeah, when he came he did, to he visit it. The red carpet was rolled out at uh, a China airport. Perhaps there might be a presidential visit um, if he's to make the White House.
3: Indeed. But I think the general t- uh, theme is I think that the United States is turning inwards economically mm-hmm. now that they are effectively self-sufficient in energy. They no longer need the Middle East in the way that they needed it 10, 15 years ago. They therefore have much greater freedom of maneuver. And in a way, I think this this election campaign marks a turning inward of the United States because uh, Hillary Clinton has also said that she wouldn't ratify the Trans-Pacific Agreement, which is very interesting because this was one endeavor by the Obama administration to sort of Gather its allies in Asia into a trade bloc with the United States rather than with China, and now Hillary is saying that she 'd abandon that, and of course Donald would certainly abandon it, and that I think is symptomatic of the United States turning in on it, inwards on itself because it is an island and it mm. is a self sufficient island yeah. so I think the rest of the world, wherever they are, are going to have to look out much more for themselves, and that 's why we 're seeing for example, here in Europe. talk about European defence as if we can't
0: completely rely on the American defence umbrella anymore. Yeah, Uh, We should talk about the peace peace process in Northern Ireland. It's pretty well established now at this point, but nonetheless, we can't take it for granted. Um, The US government has been uh, heavily invested over the years in in the peace process, particularly the uh, Bill Clinton administration. Do you think there are any uh, threats to the peace process as a result of, let's say, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton I, I don't think the there, is,
3: there is really. I, I think the real threat to the peace uh, process or at least to the settlement comes from the United Kingdom deciding to leave the European Union and the possibility of trade barriers of one kind or another uh, between the two parts of Ireland and between Ireland and the UK, that could be extremely disruptive, both economically and politically, and could increase the sense of isolation of either or the Northern nationalist minority from the rest of Ireland, or perhaps even the Unionist majority from the rest of the United Kingdom. But a sense of isolation in, among either communities could could spill over into into politics, and even worse.
0: Yeah. Uh, Larry Donnelly, any thoughts on uh, the peace process and how either Trump or Clinton uh, might view it?
1: Uh, I tend to agree with John Bruton. Uh, I don't think it would make a huge difference. But what I will say is that I think Trump would be very much hands off. I don't think it would be anything of a priority for him. uh, Whereas I think Hillary Clinton, to the extent that the United States has been a positive force uh, in the peace process, that that would continue to happen.
3: Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I only met Donald Trump once. And <laughs> interestingly enough, it was, uh, I think it was an Ireland funds or an Irish. American-Irish Chamber of Commerce dinner. Uh, so he does have some interest in Ireland apart from June Doonbeg mm-hmm. and this is the years ago. team,
0: the Irish rugby team, team are actually staying in a Trump hotel in advance of their game against the All Blacks in Chicago <laughs> at the weekend. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure that that means the RFU is uh, supporting Donald <laughs> Trump but anyway. Um, Megan Green, there's been a little bit of controversy on this side of the water if you like about uh, the role of uh, Tenio in um, in fundraising for the Clintons over the years and, and one of the founders of Tenio is an Irishman called uh, Declan Kelly, is that having any influence uh, in, in the election debate?
2: Uh, you know, I, of course, the funding of the foundation has played into the debate, but I think um, a much bigger deal, particularly most recently, has been um, Clinton's email usage as Secretary of State. So that's been the real October surprise. Uh, and it does seem that that is shifting the popular vote, but because of the peculiarities of our electoral college system, I don't think that will end up shifting the outcome of the election. Um, but, you know, we have seen Clinton lose some popularity recently, mm. but that's mainly down to the emails and not to the funding. Um, just one point I wanted to add um, uh, to what uh, former Taoiseach Burton said um, about the U.S. turning inwards. It's, it's unfortunately not a U.S. specific trait. Everybody is turning inwards across the Western world. Um, we've got populist parties throughout Europe as well, including in Ireland. And and so I think we can expect this off the back of incredibly sluggish uh, growth, a really lackluster recovery, which has given populists across Europe and the U.S., A lot of runway to consolidate their support. Um, And unfortunately, after the U.S. election and indeed after a very busy election schedule in Europe over the next 12 months, I don't think we can expect this to go anywhere anytime soon.
0: Yeah. And John Bruton, just add to that point. Megan did say earlier that uh, a Trump presidency could see America slip into a recession, which would be disastrous uh, for Europe, particularly for Ireland, wouldn't it?
3: I think we could have a trade war if he does the things he says he's going to do, because uh, others will retaliate. And uh, Europe is very dependent on demand from China. If the Chinese are hit very hard by the tariffs Trump is threatening them with, uh, that could lead to all sorts of negative uh, consequences. I agree with Megan that there's a turning inward everywhere, uh, including in, in, in Europe. But in the United States, because of their energy independence, they can sort of almost afford to turn inwards, where the rest of us can't afford to turn inwards and will soon have to yeah. stop doing so.
0: Now, that energy dependence is down to fracking, isn't it?
3: Yes, which apparently produces very pure gas, which is very inexpensive to burn. Uh, and if energy prices were to rise, the United States would be in a very strong position
0: yeah okay Um, John Bruden just before uh, we're going to close now in a few moments but I just wanted to tease out a couple of uh, other things I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, Brexit uh, particularly for Ireland a lot of debate um, at the minute as to what it's going to mean for Ireland um, and that you know it's going to impact on our own economic uh, growth and there are huge uncertainties about the border with Northern Ireland whether we're going to have a hard border or soft border and we are going to lose whether we like it or not we are going to lose an ally uh, around the boardroom table I suppose uh, in the EU how do you see it playing out
3: I think the danger is in the small print. We, we may not have tariffs on the border, or we may. Uh, we may not have passport controls on the border. I don't think we will. But we could have divergences in product standards uh, and in standards for services, which could become just as effective as a barrier to trade uh, and selling across the border than even tariffs could be. Um, and we're going to have to get buried in a lot of deep bury ourselves in a lot of detail mm. and detailed lobbying not just in london but all over the european union to ensure that the worst possible outcomes don't occur
0: yeah and as i say you were an ambassador for the ifsc uh, promoting ireland as a location for international financial services there's been a lot of talk about the opportunities of of maybe getting roles and, and poaching companies from london what's your view on that how many do you think we might get
3: well, I think we're going to be the only English-speaking country in the European Union. Uh, we are going to, we are a country with a good track record in financial services. We have adequate office space, or will have adequate office space, for the relocation of companies. There are, I think, two areas where we need to do more if we want to get more of the London business to come here. One is in the provision of international schools, and the other is obviously in the provision of housing. Mm. Uh, if we can crack those two things, we should get a lot. Uh, of transfer of business, if we can get the European Banking Authority or even the European Medicines Agency, both of which will be leaving England uh, to come somewhere else in the Europe to a European Union country, if we could get one or both of those, uh, I think we'd only get one. Mm. Uh, we could do very well indeed out of that.
0: Yeah. Okay. The housing problem, of course, won't be sorted overnight. But uh, anyway, we'll...
3: well, sometimes you know you can suddenly find that a lot of houses come on stream at the same time and. You move from you know from famine to
0: feast almost within months. Right. Okay. Well, uh, the election is almost upon us, guys. I'm going to ask you for your predictions: uh, Trump or Clinton to win? Megan Green.
2: Uh, I think it's very likely that Clinton will win, but I think the Republicans will keep control of the House and the Senate's totally up for uh, debate.
1: Up for grabs. Okay, Larry Donnelly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably sure that it'll be Clinton, but I, w- I was 100% sure a week ago. I still think it'll be her. I still think the Electoral College uh, c- confers on her a big advantage, so I suspect it'll be Hillary, but God knows we've been surprised in this election so many times so far.
3: All right, John. John Bluden, the following. Unless something year. else happens, I think Hillary Clinton will win in the Electoral College. I think the Republicans will will retain control in both the House and the Senate. I, I just While the Democrats will make, make gains in the Senate they would need to nearly make all the possible gains that are up there and indeed there will be some seats that will change hands in the Senate from Democrat to Republican. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a Democratic President and a Republican control of both
0: Houses. And should we expect a presidential visit from Hillary Clinton to Ireland uh, sometime in the near future? I'd say that's likely, Yes. But she's going to be very busy. (laughs) All right. Uh, We'll leave it there for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to John Bruton, Megan Green and Larry Donnelly. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as the sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business Feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Ciarán Hancock. Until next time, take care.